I've been praying for proper words to share some thoughts because we're dealing with a subject of such vast importance. Far-reaching implications because we're going to be looking at the secret that Jesus used to train his own disciples and qualify them to lastingly change the world. Christ taught them a method that was so effective that money doesn't even assist it in accomplishing its goals. To prove the point, Jesus twice sent disciples on nationwide tours in face of mortal enemies. Without money, bodyguards or supplies, yet these tours generated immense publicity and protection. Furthermore, the disciples had to turn down substantial financial support which this method generated. After we look at his unique method, we'll focus on the way Jesus trained his disciples in his powerful method of reaching multitudes. Christ's method is not a secret, it's known. But I believe the method is often ignored because the training has been forgotten, overlooked, or neglected. But this topic is so comprehensive and so important. I want to begin with another word of prayer. Show we bow our heads? Dear Lord, who's sufficient to present the matchless charms of Christ? I pray that your Holy Spirit may fall, that just as you spoke to disciples by the Sea of Galilee, so you'll speak to us today, your disciples, by the sea again, that this time together may not be just ordinary time, but that our hearts will burn as you speak with us by the way. We will know, take knowledge, that there is a Jesus who's living and wants to use us to reach those around us. We pray in his name, amen. The method to reach the multitudes is medical, missionary, health evangelism, comprehensive. It's foolish to ignore this method in our outreach to others. Medical missionary work is the right arm that gives the visible three legs which sustain and promote the gospel, publicity, protection, and prosperity. Without it, gospel outreach is weakened, crippled. Public and personal evangelism is weakened and crippled as well. First, it's foolish to ignore medical evangelism in our outreach to others because medical missionary work brings the gospel publicity. It's the face of the gospel. Lip-to-lip advertising is by far the most effective advertising. It's the advertising that Madison Avenue, that's, I don't know, do you use that expression here in, in Australia? Madison Avenue is the, is the term in America we use for where the big advertisements are made, Madison Avenue. And they seek to imitate, seek to create lip-to-lip advertising. Money can buy media advertising, but the most effective advertising has always been free. The skin cancer and cosmetic dermatology clinic where I trained, Dr. John Chung, instilled in our minds that every patient is our next advertisement. Years ago, um, now forgotten almost, Microsoft produced the Zune, 
and they tried to get group excitement. They paid money to college students to have buzz groups and talk about the Zune. The iPhone spent very little. But before it was even could be purchased, it had a 98% market penetration. And it's now studied. How can you get that kind of advertising? Well, that's what God does in medical missionary work. It creates immense publicity. That's why it's called the entering wedge. Those who are healed spread the news more effectively than television advertisement. Those who are healed tell their friends. Those friends become interested and tell those friends who become interested. And it is this type of explosive spread that will finish the work in months. We found this with the CHIP program in Wichita. We received excellent television and radio publicity, which cost us very little. And our church in Wichita, Kansas, became known because of medical missionary work. And this is how comprehensive medical evangelism brought crowds to Jesus. Luke tells us that after healing a leper, so much the more went there a fame abroad of him, and great multitudes came together to hear and to be healed by him of their infirmities. This word of mouth publicity was actually too effective. The crowds became so big that Jesus had to go to places that were more inaccessible as a result. When we want crowds that convention centers can't hold, we'll start doing comprehensive medical evangelism. When we want the windows of heaven to be open so much that we don't have room for the blessings, we'll do comprehensive medical evangelism works at all times and in all places, all situations. It was medical missionary work that opened Syria to the gospel at the highest levels in the time of Elisha. In the middle of a war between Syria and Israel, at a time when feelings were fever-pitched, when emotions and hatred were at their peak, Elisha's medical missionary work brought peace. It was his entering wedge. Medical missionary work brought crowds to the apostles. It was their entering wedge. Luke tells us that believers were the more added to the Lord. Multitudes, both of men and women, insomuch that they brought forth the sick into the streets and laid them on beds and couches that at the least the shadow of Peter passing might, be oversha might overshadow some of them. There came also a multitude out of the cities round about unto Jerusalem bringing sick folks and them which were vexed with unclean spirits. And they were healed, every one. This was Paul's method. By the space of two years, all they which dwelt in Asia heard the word of the Lord Jesus, both Jews and, G and Greeks. And God wrought special miracles by the hands of Paul. So that from his body were brought unto the sick handkerchiefs or aprons, and the disease departed from them, and the evil spirits went out of them. Yes, it's foolish to ignore medical missionary work in our outreach to others because comprehensive medical evangelism does bring publicity like no other work. But second, it's foolish to ignore medical missionary work in our outreach to others because comprehensive medical evangelism provides protection like no other work. The people protect the medical missionary from their enemies. Because of Jesus' medical missionary work, the Jewish leaders were afraid to lay a hand on him because of the crowds. 
who would defend Jesus. The enemies of Christ had to delay murdering him for years. Christ's trial, all mention of Christ's comprehensive medical evangelism was avoided and excluded because even discussion of it would have prevented his condemnation. Had Jesus performed a medical missionary healing in King Herod's palace, he would have been released there on the spot. This protective effect of medical missionary work is true in all times and at all places. It worked for the apostles. Acts 5.26 says, Then went the captain with the officers and brought them without violence, for they feared the people, lest they should have been stoned. During the St. Bartholomew Massacre, tens of thousands of Protestant citizens were murdered at the command of King Charles IX in an attempt to exterminate Protestantism in France. But while the king carried an aquabus and himself shot Protestant subjects who sought his protection by coming to his palace gates, he hid his Protestant physician in his cabinet to preserve his life, locked him in. Down under, when the Adventist message was taken to Australia, ancient Sunday laws were revived. Some of our members here were placed in stocks. Some of our Members were threatened with fines, but at Avondale, where medical missionary work had been done, the community refused to enforce the laws. It's foolish to ignore medical missionary work and our outreach to others, because medical missionary work brings publicity and protection like no other work. But third, it's foolish to ignore medical missionary work and our outreach to others, because medical missionary work provides financial and, vi- and voluntary efforts necessary to support the work of the gospel. It was medical missionary work that provided for Christ and the disciples' maintenance. Mark tells us that Peter's mother-in-law was sick. Jesus came and took her by the hand and lifted her up, and immediately the fever left her, and she ministered unto them. Luke tells us that certain women, which had been healed of evil spirits and infirmities, Mary called Magdalene, out of whom went seven devils, and Joanna, the wife of Chusa, Herod's steward, and Susanna, and many others, which ministered unto him of their substance. True medical missionary work inspires sacrificial service at all times and in all places. When Paul was a prisoner being transported to Rome and was shipwrecked on the island of Miletus, the father of Publius lay sick of a fever and of a bloody flux, to whom Paul entered in and prayed and laid his hands on him and healed him. So when this was done, others also which had diseases in the island came and were healed, who also honored us with many honors. And when we departed, they laded us with such things as were necessary." Elisha's medical missionary work brought huge donations, so Hazael went, out to, went to meet him and took a present with him even of every good thing of Damascus, 40 camels burden, and came and stood before him and said, Thy son Ben-Hadad, king of Syria, hath sent me to thee, saying, Shall I recover of this disease? Now, think of it. Abraham sent only 10 camels for Rebekah, 40 camels for Elisha. It was medical missionary work alone that's going to cause the wealth of the Gentiles to flow into the church to support the final gospel outreach. 
Yes, it's foolish to ignore medical missionary work in our outreach to others when it is medical missionary work that gives publicity, protection, and prosperity to the work of the gospel. But it's equally foolish to ignore the gospel in our medical missionary outreach to others. Medical missionary work, comprehensive medical work, is merely a means, not an end. It's a path, not a destination. Comprehensive medical evangelism brings to view, at best, only a few brief years of comfort and health, while the gospel brings to view an eternity of comfort and health. If medical missionary work providing a few years of health is good, the gospel which provides an eternity of health must be infinitely better. If providing a few years of health is important, the gospel with its eternity of health and happiness must be infinitely more important. It's foolish to share the good while we fail to share the infinitely better. Mere health education is cruel since it offers no hope beyond the prolongation of this poor earthly existence. While medical missionary work helps others get more from this life, the gospel helps others get more than this life. In the New Testament, the work of the medical missionary and the gospel missionary were one and the same. They were never separated. Where there was one, there was always the other. The gospel is not just about the future life, it is about life. Eternal life doesn't begin then, it begins now. The gospel makes the present life the first part of eternal life. The only way you can get more eternal life is to start earlier. Through medical missionary work, God makes our present life as pleasant as he possibly can make it for us. The thorns and the thistles he has reluctantly allowed are for our sake. Without them, we wouldn't feel our need. Without them, we'd be happy with this life alone. God wants us to desire something better than this world can provide. But though we can no longer benefit from paradise, though we must be exiled from Eden, God wants to give our lives all the comfort it's safely possible to give. And medical missionary work provides the best possible life now with the promise of a perfect paradise when this is safe for God to give it to us. Through the gospel, it becomes safe for God to restore Eden to us. If God is interested in our mortal life, how much more must he be interested in our immortal life? Said John, beloved, I wish above all things that thou mayest prosper and be in health even as thy soul prospereth. Through the gospel, the nail-scarred hand will wipe away all tears in heaven. But that hand begins by wiping tears from our eyes now through medical missionary work. In this life, medical ministry brings joy to the sorrowing, relief to the afflicted, hope to the desponding, and strength to the weak. The medical missionary is giving a message from God about God. It is a message about a God who cares about our cares. Now, it is about a God who wants to give us health now and give us perfect health in eternity and for eternity. Medical missionary work tells about a God who is removing the diseases that result from transgression. But the gospel tells about a God that is removing the guilt that results from sin. Medical missionary work brings faith in a God who doesn't wait for a future to give us a better life, but begins that better life today. Medical missionary work teaches us to trust in his future promises by showing us that his present promises are true. Jesus has promised the believer shall receive an hundredfold now in this time 
and in the world to come, eternal life. Medical missionaries are to go forth healing, but also preaching. When the sick are made well, they are to see that wellness on earth is a little foretaste of heaven. Heal the sick that are therein and say unto them, the kingdom of God has come nigh unto you. When the sick were being healed, they learned about eternity where sick will be healed. What a kingdom medical missionary work reveals where the inhabitant shall not say, I'm sick. Medical missionary work is never to be separated from the gospel message, neither is gospel work to be separated from medical missionary work. We are to go forth preaching, but also healing. He sent them to preach the kingdom of God and to heal the sick. And as you go, preach, saying, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Heal the sick, cleanse the lepers, raise the dead, cast out devils. Freely ye have received, freely give. At the very opening of his ministry, Matthew tells us, Jesus went about all Galilee, teaching in their synagogues, preaching the, kingdom of, preaching the gospel of the kingdom, and healing all manner of sickness and all manner of disease among the people. And Jesus didn't stop doing this after he had obtained publicity protection and support. Medical missionary work wasn't his gimmick. It was his modus operandi, it was his method. Five chapters later, Matthew tells us again that Jesus went about all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues and preaching the gospel of the kingdom and healing every sickness and every disease among the people, as if Matthew wanted to make sure we didn't miss it if we missed it the first time. From start to finish, this is what Jesus did. He was a medical missionary. This was his work. This is what he trained and empowered his disciples to do. They couldn't do it until they were trained, and they couldn't do it until they were empowered. He ordained 12 that they should be with him and that he might send them forth to preach and to have power to heal sicknesses and to cast out devils. Notice the process. They were ordained, that is, set apart, not at the end of their training, but at the start of it. Why were they ordained? They were ordained that they might be with him. Why were they with him? They were with him that they might be sent forth to preach, but not just to preach. There's an important word next, and. And to have power to heal. They were set apart, they were ordained to be doubly trained. They were to learn the art of preaching, persuading, presenting, publicly and privately proclaiming the truths of the gospel, but they were also to learn the art of the care, treatment, and prevention of disease. Any other training is one-sided, lopsided. They weren't trained to do one or the other. They didn't choose between the pastoral track and the medical track. Christ's method was to train and equip them for both. They must have both to fulfill the highest work for their master. Now, how can we receive medical missionary training, comprehensive medical evangelism, as the disciples did? How can we include comprehensive gospel medical evangelism in our gospel outreach to others? How can we include the gospel in our medical missionary work? How can we use the right arm to find an entry into the hearts of others that will provide life for their souls and multiply converts for Jesus? The disciples' diploma their heavenly certificate in their work was power from heaven to do medical missionary work, to heal the sick, to cast out demons. Where do we get such a training today? 
Where can we have that same diploma, the certificate, the power the disciples received? We have a divorced gospel in the church today. We train doctors and dentists and other health professionals to treat the body, but we give only lip service to reaching the soul. But is this God's plan? Is this his method? Is this all he expects from me as a medical professional? We train ministers to preach the gospel, but give only lip service to medical missionary health evangelism. Is this all God expects from pastors and evangelists? If it's not a divorce, it certainly is a separation. They live apart. It it is at best a dysfunctional marriage. They're not united. And it's hard to increase your family when husband and wife live apart. The power the doctor has is not received from heaven, but from a medical institution. But a medical training is only as good as it trains in Christ's method and imparts his power. If we have not learned how to give the gospel in medical training, we will actually do a disservice. Continuing the illusion that the gospel and medical missionary work are somehow separate, something that somehow must be bridged Properly conducted medical missionary outreach doesn't need a bridge. It is the bridge from the secular to Christ. Our expectation too often is that the health professionals will make the money and serve the church by their generous donations. But God has a better plan, a higher plan, a more effective plan. All, we're told, all our medical workers are earnestly to use their capabilities in the right way that there may go forth the impression that the ministry of the word and the medical missionary work are in reality, read it with me, one united work. This plan requires a very special training. We'll look at three passages in Luke where Christ's method for training medical missionaries is revealed in detail. Luke 8.1, Luke 9.1, and Luke 10.1. I would like us to notice how Christ trained medical missionaries because his method is the only way we can become medical missionaries. Luke 8, 1. He went throughout every city and village preaching and showing the glad tidings of the kingdom of God and the 12 were with him. Notice that last phrase. The 12 were, say it with me, with him. Step one, Jesus taught by example the apprenticeship method. We can never be a medical missionary until we spend time observing Jesus, the great medical missionary. I can't be like Jesus until I know what Jesus is like. Make no mistakes about this. Jeremiah cried out, O Lord, I know that the way of man is not in himself. It is not in man that walketh to direct his steps. It's not intuitive to be like Jesus. We have no natural instinct that we can rely on to make us like him. He declares, my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways. Acts of the Apostles says something very, very interesting. The reason many in this age of the world make no greater advancement in the divine life is because they interpret the will of God to be just what they will to do. While following their own desires, they flatter themselves that they are conforming to God's will. Like the child who wants a squirt gun and thinks this must be what his mother wants because he wants it, we think our wants and desires are God's wants and desires. Often what we think Jesus would do, he wouldn't do. 
What we were sure he wouldn't do, that's what he would do. The question, what would Jesus do, is an important question, but it's not very useful unless we really know Jesus well enough to know what he would do. Think of the mistakes sincere people have made through the centuries, thinking they were being like Jesus. Martin Luther almost died and did suffer permanently from his self-imposed impoverished diet, his fastings, his flagellations, his self-tortures. For hundreds of years, even today, priests and nuns are celibate, missing the comfort and joy of family because they want to be like Jesus and they believe this will make them like him. In the St. Bartholomew Massacre, the French Catholics thought they were pleasing Jesus by brutally killing the Protestants. The Pope was filled with joy and thought Jesus was helping him to destroy the enemies of Jesus' church. We pity these people in their darkness and ignorance. But, we, but don't think that misunderstanding Jesus is limited to the dark ages or some extreme cult. Today, sincere, lovely people worship idols, pray to Mary, break the Sabbath, teach others to break the Sabbath, thinking to please Jesus. Today, many sincere, loving, and well-meaning Christian teachers and ministers are giving horrible advice. And it is not limited to ministers and teachers. You don't have to go very far to hear people being advised to dishonor their parents, divorce their spouses, abort their children, dress improperly, listen to heathen music with Christian lyrics, to worship like pagans, all in the name of Jesus. Let me read the problem again. They interpret the will of God to be just what they will to do while following their own desires. They flatter themselves that they are conforming to God's will. We may think something is important to Jesus that he doesn't care about. We may think there's something he doesn't care about that is important to him. Jesus began the training of the disciples by giving them time with him. They needed acquaintance with God, or they could never give a correct view of him. Many Christians want Christ to follow them, to go with them where they go. They want Jesus to be their disciple instead of being his disciple. But in true comprehensive medical evangelism, we become disciples who follow Jesus where he goes. This is the fund fundamental necessity for all who would do medical missionary work. Yet it is precisely this that is missing from so many training programs. You can become a physician with your MD and not know him, not spend time with him. In fact, the training can absorb our time and take us away from him. It can even take away our Sabbath time of reflection, meditation, and rest. But don't think you can be a medical missionary if you're not spending time with God. If we don't know him, we will misinterpret, misrepresent, it, misrepresent him. Our labor will be done with little faith and be productive of little fruit. There's not some form of word, some technique, some approach that can be given in the training that will make us soul, soul winning agents. Those who do not know Christ can't win souls to him no matter what they say or do. Those who do not know him will harm evangelism. Said Jesus, woe unto you scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for ye compass sea and land to make one proselyte, and when he is made, ye make him twofold more the child of hell than yourselves. We must begin where the disciples begin. 
He went throughout every city and village preaching and showing the glad tidings of the kingdom of God. And the 12 were with him. According to the SDA Bible commentary, Levi Matthew, the last of the 12 disciples, was called in the summer of AD 30. Luke 8, 1 occurred in the autumn of AD 30, six months before his crucifixion. Increasing crowds were coming to Jesus. He had been a medical missionary worker for nearly three years. He was no longer unknown. It was no longer possible for his work to be carried on by himself alone. The harvest of his sowing was great. The disciples' labor labor was needed. All 12 disciples were with him on this second Galilean medical missionary tour. He went throughout every city and village preaching and showing the glad tidings of the kingdom of God and the 12 were with him. Like the 12 sons of Jacob, they were a family. The disciples were different in age and experience. It was being with him that united them. Though they were also with each other, that was incidental to being with him. They went where he went. Their lives were filled with Jesus. They ate what he ate and when he ate. They walked where he walked. He set the pace. He determined the destination. His schedule was their schedule. His priorities set their activities. While he was attentive to their needs, they became more attentive to his needs. They lived his life, and his life changed their life. They were with him when he went to bed. They were with him when he got up. They were with him when he walked, when he talked. Like the 144,000, they followed the lamb wherever he went. They listened to his words. Their ears were filled with Jesus. They heard his prayers. They heard his counsel. They heard his table talk. They heard his sermons. They heard his gentle answers to calm the angry, hostile questioners. They listened to his answers to their own questions. They heard his use of the Bible. They listened to his instruction to the sick, the well, the happy, the sad. They learned from his silence. They listened to him sing. They listened to his respectful conversation with his mother. And his words changed their life. They observed his actions. Their eyes were full of Jesus. Like the child who watches his mother, they watched Jesus. They not only heard the words and tones of Jesus, they saw his facial expressions and his body language. They saw his Bible study habit. They saw his hours of prayer. They saw what he ate and what he didn't eat. Some uh, months ago, my granddaughter, then uh, three and a half, came to spend the weekend with Grandpa and Grandma. And uh, as she crawled into our bed Sabbath morning, I was there working on my Sabbath school class that I was going to be teaching, and I was on my computer with the Bible. And, but my granddaughter didn't see the Bible. She just saw the computer. And she said to me, she says, my daddy... When he gets up in the morning, he has his devotions. And uh, I said, well, I'm having my devotions here. Well, she says, my daddy, when he gets up, he studies his Bible. She had seen what her daddy did. And they saw what Jesus did. His hour of prayer, what he ate, what he didn't eat. They observed how he related to various kinds of people, the rich, the poor, the educated, the ignorant, the leader, the peasant. They observed him when he was interrupted, his plans delayed. They saw him when he was fatigued and hungry. They saw him deal with hardship, privation, and obstacles, and by beholding, they were changed. Where we receive our education is very important. 
because we become like our educators. Universities have a facade of championing freedom of thought, but it's just a deceitful conceit, a mere pretense, except where they teach truth. Truth alone gives freedom of thought. Outside of truth, there's no real openness in education. A student doesn't choose the test questions and doesn't determine the answers. All answers aren't considered equal on test. All education is by nature religious and exclusive. Education gives us a philosophy of life, a worldview, with the necessity of rejecting competing philosophies and worldviews. It doesn't simply give you equal exposure to all worldviews and you select the one that fits you. That in itself is a worldview. It gives the student an overwhelming worldview from peer pressure, from professors, from repetition. The student comes to see life as he's been taught. Education is designed to mold our minds and thought. If it doesn't, it's not education. Quality education indoctrinates, it motivates, it changes the graduate. Education means spending time with our teachers in their classes. We spend time with the authors of our textbook. We learn the answers we are taught. We learn the theories of those we accept as authorities. It is inevitable that when we graduate, we become like our professors. That is what education is. That's what education does. This is what educated Christ's disciples. And when they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were unlearned and ignorant men, they marveled and they took knowledge of them that they had been with Jesus. The English Standard Version calls Peter and John uneducated, common men. I like the New American Bible's translation of this verse. Observing the boldness of Peter and John and perceiving them to be uneducated, ordinary men, they were amazed and they recognized them as the companions of Jesus. Companions of Jesus stand out. They're recognizable. Are we companions of Jesus? This is what happens to common people when they are companions of Jesus. He that walketh with wise men shall be wise. This intimate familiarity with Jesus is necessary for all who would be comprehensive medical evangelists. We must have companionship with Jesus. As Jesus ministered to the vast multitudes, we're told, that gathered about him, his disciples were in attendance, eager to do his bidding and to lighten his labor. They assisted in arranging the people, bringing the afflicted ones to the Savior and promoting the comfort of all. I like that as a definition of medical missionary work, bringing the afflicted to the Savior. They watched for interested hearers, explained the scriptures to them, and in various ways worked for their spiritual benefit. They taught what they had learned of Jesus and were every day obtaining a rich experience. In the training of the disciples, the example of the Savior's life was far more effective than any mere doctrinal instruction. When they were separated from him, every look and tone came back to them. Often when in conflict with the enemies of the gospel, they repeated his words, and as they saw their effect upon the people, they rejoiced greatly. The first step in becoming a medical missionary is to spend your days with Jesus. Let's look at the second step. Luke 9.1, he called his 12 disciples together and gave them power and authority over all devils and to cure diseases, and he sent them to preach the kingdom of God and to heal the sick. Step two, they were to do what they had just seen Jesus do. 
They were to be comprehensive medical missionaries themselves. He gave them power and sent them out two by two, not to only preach and not to only heal, but they were to preach and to heal. They were not only followers, they were to be copiers, duplicated, duplications of Jesus. They were not only to admire what, they did, what he did, they were to reproduce what he did. The 12 were first disciples, followers. They were with him. Then they became apostles, sent. The goal of discipleship was apostleship. He sent them. They didn't send themselves. He sent them out together. Ahimeaz wanted to be sent, but he had no message. He ran hard. He got there, but had nothing to say. We must have a message. We don't preach without a message. Their message was the kingdom of God. Furthermore, we can't be sent to do medical missionary work without power. We must have more than human power. We can't heal without power. They had a message. They had power. They could be medical missionaries. They could preach the message and heal the sick. There are those who go as comprehensive medical missionaries without a knowledge, a familiarity with Jesus. There are others who are armed with head knowledge and facts and go out as comprehensive medical missionaries, but they have no power. They may have a knowledge, a familiarity with statistics, with health principles, but that's not sufficient. They may even have funding, but that's not sufficient. We must have power. We can't be satisfied with anything less or anything else. But ye shall receive power. After that, the Holy Ghost has come upon you. It was this that made all the difference between success and failure throughout the book of Judges. When there was no Holy Spirit, there was only defeat. When there was Holy Spirit, there was only victory. Of Othniel, an early judge, it is written, and the Spirit of the Lord came upon him, and he judged Israel and went out to war, and the Lord delivered Chasan Rishathanam. Well, the, the Lord delivered the king of Mesopotamia <laughs> into his hands, and his hand prevailed. After years of defeat, the Bible says the Spirit of the Lord came upon Gideon. We all know the rest of the story. We are told that the Spirit of the Lord came upon Jephthah. It came mightily upon Samson. I could multiply the references. In the New Testament, the Spirit of the Lord rested on John the Baptist from his mother's womb. It was this that gave him power. And this is what all comprehensive medical missionary work must have to make its influence felt in this secular age. What's the difference between the church before the latter rain and during the latter rain? This power. And why does this power delay? Because it cannot be given until we have taken that first step and been with Jesus. We know him and have received knowledge of him. Then and only then can we receive the second step, power, and be sent out as medical missionaries. This power will not be given without earnest prayer. Mark 9, 29, he said unto them, this kind can come forth by nothing but by prayer and fasting. Our angels have immediate access to God's presence. This gives them the joy of communicating directly with God. When we pray, this gives them an excuse to take our prayers and talk to Jesus about them. Our prayers 
bring angels into more harmony with heaven and us in harmony as well. What should we be fasting and praying about? We should fast and pray to understand the Bible. We should fast and pray to recognize our sins. And we should fast and pray for victory over the weaknesses that so troubled our lives. If we regard iniquity in our hearts, the Lord will not hear our prayers. And we should fast and pray for the Holy Spirit. Who is given the Holy Spirit? The Holy Spirit whom God hath given to them that obey him. The Holy Spirit is given to give us power to obey. When we disobey, we're resisting the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit and obedience work hand in hand. Some months ago, after praying to the judge of the universe, I almost heard God as if he was saying, prayer request granted, you know, bringing down his gavel, request granted, request granted after each request. And I realized, why do I ask for so little? Judge is willing to grant me much more. His resources are limitless. He likes me to ask. He loves to answer my prayers like the joy the parent has in providing for the needs of the infant. This gives God the joy of providing for my needs. Human kings only demonstrated a little of God's being king. I may uh, mention this tomorrow as well. The citizens provide wealth and honor to an earthly king, but the divine king provides wealth and honor to his citizens. The parent is more fitting representation for the kingdom of Christ. From the family resources, the parent provides for the needs and wants of the child, and so my heavenly father from his riches provides for my needs and even wants. God is looking for those through whom he can display his wealth. Step one of medical missionary training is intimate knowledge of Jesus from time spent with him. Step two of medical missionary training is imparting to others what we have learned of Jesus. Let's look at step three, just a moment. Luke 10. After these things, the Lord appointed other 70 also and sent them out two two before his face into every city and place whither he himself would come. Heal the sick that are therein and say unto them, the kingdom of God has come nigh unto you. Our job is to prepare the way for Jesus' coming. Step three, he multiplies the medical missionaries. First, they had learned how Christ did it by observing his example. Second, they learned by doing what he had, they had seen him do. Third, they solidified their learning by assisting in the training of others. And this is how God will train his final medical missionaries. Step one is where I desire to be right now, following Jesus, learning of him. It's not yet time for dramatic miracles and healings. We are in the John the Baptist time. He did no miracles, but everything he said about Jesus was true. How did John know Jesus? They'd never spent time together. John knew Jesus through his word. John studied the Bible, he studied the prophecies, and this gave him knowledge of Jesus. And this is how I can spend time with Jesus today. But only as I take this step will I be ready for step two and receive power for medical missions. And he'll send me out when I know him well enough to reflect him properly.
Is that your desire this evening? Do you want to be able to present the one who's altogether lovely in all his beauty? Do you want his wisdom to know when to speak and when to be silent? To know what to say and what not to say? Some ask, what is the connection between medicine and evangelism? We are the connection. It's not another program. It's Jesus shining through you, in your voice, in your inner joy, peeking through your face. You grasp the hand of Jesus, and you grasp their hand, and you bring their hands together. That's what medical health outreach needs, and only you can provide. If you want to say, take me, Lord, as holy yours, so I can be used in your service. Would you be willing to bow your heads with me as we pray? Dear Lord, we think we know all about you and we've scarcely been introduced to you. We're thankful you know all about us. You take us just as we are, sinful, polluted. You bring us into association with the purifier And that's what we desire. Lord, each moment of our lives, we want you that we may be following you, reflecting you as we preach the word or as we minister to the sick. We pray that you'll be here at this seminar and help us to be like Jesus to each other. We just commit our lives to you this evening. Give us a good night's sleep and a a rest. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. This media was brought to you by Audioverse, a website dedicated to spreading God's word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse, or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www dot audioverse dot org